So I, I rarely throw a title on the message. Most of the time after, I, I, uh, I'm in the back and, and talking to Isaac going, what should we call this one? But this morning, I actually kind of have a, a title. It's, uh, do we work? Do we work is kind of the title. And, and it, it's interesting because when you look at the book of Acts and we go through the book of Acts and we, we, we came up yesterday to the gospel at the end of, or last week at the end of Luke, realizing they had everything they needed for salvation, but there was still there. Now you're saved. Now you understand the gospel of Luke. Now you understand the gospel who accepted Jesus. He's risen from the dead. He's standing there. And now what? What do you do between there? And God um, gives us a job. There's work to be done. And there's power available for that work. And um, it's kind of interesting when you, when you look at that, you know, you have a purpose. God has called us to a work and a purpose. He didn't just save us and said, I'll catch you when you accidentally walk in front of a bus or something. No, you have a plan and a purpose. Your days, even from here forward, he has a plan for those things. And usually what happens when something doesn't work, you know, I get a call and I don't know how many times, you know, I, I'm somewhat, I'm, I work with cars a lot, so I'm, I'm the guy that gets called about, hey, I'm trying to do this and that. And, and twice this week, you know, you get that call, yeah, I'm trying to start the car, it's not happening, this and this. And it was, was it in park? You know, it's important for a car to be parked, for the ignition to work. And sometimes, are you pushing in the clutch pedal? Was the other thing, you know, it helps. If you know, have a, if you, those of you that um, are older and realize that's not a device, a manual transmission for stealing a car for these young kids, um, it, it, you know, you have to push in the clutch to get it to start or you're driving down the road. And so, again, sometimes it's, it's as simple of, you know, when something, well, it's not working. Well, is it plugged in? Is there power available to it? And other times, things don't work or tend to break or tend to fail because they're not being used for the proper purpose. Um, one of my employees who's here this morning can contest to you about what it's like not to use a saw for the proper purpose in the proper location. You know, he had some stitches. But, you know, there's things like that. I mean, that just illustration wasn't even my notes. He's just sitting there. But, um, you know, and so there's those things. I mean, I, I was thinking back to uh, when we first got married and I was working, I was driving from the high desert all the way down to Chino Hills area to a roofing company and then getting sent farther into uh, uh, the desolate cities of Southern California to roof. We had, I had a Ford Escort. I didn't have a truck, and the guy first looked at me like, how are you going to do this? Well, I got a folding ladder, but we had to clean off our own roofs when we were done shingling. And so I used that Ford Escort. I piled shingles in the back of it, laid the seats down, all this stuff, you know. I used that car for a purpose it wasn't designed for. And then getting home up Cajon Pass on a Friday night when everybody was going to Vegas and the river was six hours. So I decided my little Ford Escort could go up the side of the railroad tracks up Cajon Pass, and it did. It made it most of the time pretty well. You know, it wasn't the truck I used to have, but again, I wasn't using it for the intended purpose, and it caused problems for that poor little car, you know? The little 97 Ford Escort died, you know? And sometimes, so when we look at God has called us for work, he's, he's empowered us, and, and with the purpose, being used for the purpose God has called us to. And many times in our Christian walk, things seem to go wrong when we don't have the power to do it. We're not plugged in. And when we're, or we're, we're using what God has given us for the wrong purpose. 
You know, and I, you just look up that online with power tools online. You know, people taking the nail gun and they got it upside down, they're slamming the top of the nail on it and it shoots a nail at them. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things, you know, just go on hundreds and hundreds of examples of using things for the wrong purpose. And you'd have a great YouTube video and hours of it, you know. But you sit there and you look at these things. And so when we look at the gospel, we look at as we go through the book of Acts and it starts to cover, okay, what? Now that you, you're a believer, you accepted Jesus, now what? How does this walk look? How do we live as Christians? How does the, the church continue? Now, the book of Acts really in summary covers the gospel and the spread of the gospel. One through, chapter one through seven covers the gospel going out to Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Then it covers eight through 12, covers Judea and Samaria. And then 13 through 28, it really covers the gospel going out to the rest of the world. But the book of Acts and its heading wasn't put there by the apostles. Just like the chapters and the verses, it wasn't labeled. Really what the book of Acts should be called, in my opinion, and, and really is, is Luke volume 2. Because, and, and it's been said that, you know, the scrolls that the books were written on back in the day were only 35 feet. And so it would have, the book of Luke would have been one scroll. It was the media, the technology was available. That was all that was available to print out. And then the book of Acts is about the same. So if, if a scroll was 70 foot long, we would assume they would have been one book in the Bible. And John wouldn't have got sneaked in between the two. It would have been actually, you know, Luke 1 and volume 2. And so we really see this, and it kind of gets a little reintroduced heading-wise as we go through it here. So look with me, Acts chapter 1. And we'll be starting in verse 1, the beginning there. And it says, The former account I made to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, like I mentioned, Luke was a physician. We know from, from in Colossians, we know he was a physician. We know he was a, a Gentile from the accounts of where he started following. And he was a companion of Paul. And so, really, like, I, I really agree with, uh, like, Dave Gusick and a couple guys that they really feel the book of Luke and Acts are actually more of a legal brief to Rome. Acts ends with Paul in Rome in front of the Roman government with them making a decision. So here you have a man brought on charges. And if you didn't know him or you were a magistrate-type person overseeing at that time, What's the charges? What's the story? Tell me what's going on. And really this looks like, and, and look, Luke going back and interviewing, is this man Theophilus is possibly somebody who's there, a benefactor, and he's bringing, this is what's happened, this is the case against him, so this is the whole legal briefing before the trial or during the trial of Paul in Rome. And so that's kind of an interesting take on it. Some people say Theophilus, that's a symbolic because it means God lover. And that, you know, we know very little about who that person actually is. But when you look at the scripture, the way it lays out, it goes that way. And, and um, you know, Dave Gukasik's like, hey, you know, and the reason he thinks this is, you notice there's never a Roman official in Acts or Luke put in a bad light. You know, it seems favorable. It's not that he changes the truth. He just, you know holds back from saying what you could have said, you know, about the situation. So that's another little argument there. But again, the book of Acts, as it begins here, and it says, you know, what Jesus both be, be, 
Paul began both to do and to teach, the beginning. Not everything he did, there is an end there. It's what he began. And so it's still continuing to this day. When you look at, uh, you know, Acts, it, the book of Acts, it covers like 30 years. And it's like the highlights. And so you see all these things, you're gonna see all these amazing events going on in Acts, but if you were to condense it down to the highlights, this is what we have. And very much if you looked at Calvary Chapel and the history of Calvary Chapel and what's going on in Costa Mesa, it really reads the same if you were just to go through and take the highlights of what God was doing in that movement. But again, even at this time in the book of Acts, this is only one part of the church. This isn't what God was doing in all the church. At this time, there's a church going in Egypt that's growing outside of Jerusalem. There's other churches, the gospel's being used and taught in other places than just in Acts. So it's really interesting to see, here we have this small piece of what's going on with the Holy Spirit desired, desired to share with us and kind of these highlights of the ministry and, and to look at these things. So we have the beginning, and I believe it's a beginning and it keeps continuing on. You know, Damian Kyle talks about, you know, Acts 28, the last chapter there, and there was a thing on the wall in the youth group when he was a kid, you know, thing, he's looking at this thing and it says, Acts 29, live it. And he's wondering where, what happened to that chapter in his Bible? Where did it fall out? Where did it go? He didn't see it in his Bible. What's Acts 29 mean? It means we're to continue to live, that the book of Acts has never ended. What God had both began and his teaching has continued today. And so that's kind of an overview, if you would, of the, the book of Acts as we get into it here. And verse 2, it says, Until that day in which he was taken up after he taught the, uh, or, yeah, through the Holy Spirit, he um, had given commandments to the apostles whom he chosen. So until that day which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he's there, they're saved, they understand the gospel, and now he's giving them com uh, commandments to the apostles. Not a new teaching, but now starting to give them commandments on what to do regarding the new covenant how things are going to happen, how, how the work is going to be done and accomplished. And when you, you, you think of that, you know, how, how the work, the marching orders, what's, what's the plan? Which I'm sure you've got to imagine, here, Jesus rose from the dead, all this, they're thinking all the prophecy, here's the new covenant, now what? Right? As, as one of his twelves, you've got to be wondering, what's next? Where, how does this go forward, you know? You, you, we thought you were going to rule and reign in Jerusalem, and then that didn't happen. Now you suffered sacrament. Now that's done. What's the next part, you know? Sitting here in verse 3, as it continues, it says, To whom, so the, to the apostles whom he chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after he's resurrected, is around for 40 days before he ascended. And Luke, he kind of summed it up really quick. He said, okay, we saw him as this, he was there in the room, and then he ascended into heaven. And, and here in Acts, it almost like an overlap, kind of backs up a little, goes, well, during that time, he was here for 40 days. And, and there was, we, we saw his suffering on the cross, we saw him die, we, we know he's a die, that, that is undeniable. You know, the, the Roman guards that said, oh, well, they came and stole his body and all this. It was undeniable fact. There wasn't a, there wasn't a conspiracy going around. It was common knowledge. 
and, and it would be like sitting there and saying, well, the sun isn't up and you're getting sunburned. You'd be crazy, everybody would think you're nuts for saying otherwise. It was that obvious. And, and when he sits there and says unfallible truths, later in First uh, uh, Corinthians 15, 6, it says, after that he was sent by, or seen after that, he, being Jesus, was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom a great part remained to the present day when Paul was writing that. He goes, man, some have fallen asleep, but at that time when Paul is writing this in Corinthians to the Corinthians saying, hey, at one time Jesus showed himself in his resurrected body to over 500 people, and there are still those people walking around today. So there wasn't a debate of any, was, did anybody really see him? I don't know, was there a Jesus sighting over here? It was knowledge, it was common knowledge that yes, Jesus rose from the dead. There wasn't a debate, infallible undebatable okay and this day and age how many people has to see you kill somebody for you get evicted convicted of murder how many witnesses eyewitnesses do you need one imagine 500 do you think there would be a debate on your guilt in a situation you know what i mean it's like you know you you do something and it's posted live on television you're in trouble you know It'd be like, you know, having that ring security I have out here so when somebody comes, checks on the church, I'm watching them. So if you're in here right now, see? See that one over there? I could watch you during service from my phone. Just know that when you're in this church, God's watching you and the pastor. So just telling you, no. But, you know, it alerts me, and I, okay, what's going on, you know? Wow, somebody's cleaning, somebody's spraying for bugs, you know, I'm going to see all those things going on. So, yeah, so no funny faces in the camera. I'll have it recorded and you'd be able to use it against you, you know, if you start the recording. But you look at that and you see, okay, you have 500 witnesses at one time. His resurrection was not questioned. But Jesus had sat there and he talked to him pertaining the kingdom of God. Now there's salvation. Now let me explain to you this new kingdom. If we were all to walk out of this room, leave this country, and join another kingdom, the rules are going to be different. The rules are going to be different. If you walk into somebody else's kingdom, you walk into another country, you're going to realize the rules are different. The rules of the road are different. When I was in Guatemala, I do not know why they paint lines on the road. They might have rules for them, but nobody... They, they got to paint them a lot because everybody's driving across it all the time. They should get worn out, you know? The rules are different. You know, you would have... You, you know, a police officer, if he took our rules and went over there, would be he would never go home. You know, it's insane. And you just look at that. And so the rules of this kingdom, the new covenant are different. So God is speaking to him, explaining those things to him, explaining the work that needs to be done. And when we think work, we think of, oh man, that's horrible. But when you think of it, Adam was working in the garden before there was sin. It was a blessing. It was a gift. You know, now, you know, sin caused toil and the sweat of his brow, but to have a purpose and to be working is a blessing. You know, Adam wasn't just sitting there in the garden, opening his mouth and a grape would fall in and a bird would do this and just sitting there, a big old fat glutton laying on the couch, you know, and then his wife showed up and said, get to work. No, he was working even before she got there, by the way, men. So you want a wife, be a hard worker first. Adam was. But, you know... True fact, though, if, if, you, you know, if you're a young person here and your wife's supposed to be a helpmate, she ain't going to help you sit on the couch. 
So just know what God's called you to be moving that way. But anyways, so Adam worked. Working's good. In the ministry, God has called us to work to be a part of it. Now, most of, many times when you look around at yourself and maybe some others, but mainly ourselves, you go, God, I wouldn't have picked us to be workers for sharing the gospel. I can think of a lot of better situations to do it. You know, sightings, Jesus sightings would be better, right? Yeah, we'll just have a Jesus sighting for people to believe. Instead of, you know, me living it out at work, how about we just schedule a Jesus sighting to show up? You know, a resurrected Jesus shows up at work, and then I can live my life how I want. No, that's not what God does. He's called us to live a life. People see Christ through us and how we live through it, and there's the work of the ministry. And it does work. And it can be hard work. But where the power comes to do that work and how to do that work and apply those things are all through the Holy Spirit. If you noticed in verse 2, I kind of ran by it intentionally, but in verse 2 it said, He, being Jesus, right? He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments. So Jesus is in his resurrected body. He's conquered the cross. He's there with his disciples. Man, it would be like time to just let it loose. You can let full glory go. You don't have to hold back. There's all of it's done. And Jesus is reliant on the Holy Spirit. God in his resurrected body is reliant on the Holy Spirit. How much more should we be reliant on the Holy Spirit? And so in verse 4, as it continues now kind of after this reintroduction, it says in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So he's already previous promised them, hey, there's going to be a helpmate coming. Stay here in Jerusalem. Now, hold on a minute and think about that. Okay, stay here in Jerusalem. Where is here in Jerusalem for these guys? Here in Jerusalem is where the religious leaders are actively seeking to destroy you. They've already taken out Jesus. They're willing to take out the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And even after he rose again, they're trying to cover it up, and they're still going. I'm sorry, can we just move one more town over, a couple towns away? The last place I'd want to stay as a disciple is in Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, here, I want you to wait here. And it's interesting, when you slow down and you look at it, don't leave and wait. Why wait? Why is there a gap here? Could not have Jesus said right before I ascend, I give you the Holy Spirit and ascend? Why is there a gap? Why is it a separation? And you slow down, you look at that, and you go, okay, there's, there's certain things in waiting we see and, and, and reasons for waiting. But when we look at the Christian walk and you go, okay, so I can be saved, is there another experience, something separate than just being saved? Is there being filled, having the power of the Holy Spirit? There is. Some people say, well, when you accept Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit and that's it. It's one experience. Well, here in Scripture, it's very clear. There's a whole 10-day gap. He said to even wait for it. Why is there a wait? And again, not to say you can't accept Christ and have the Holy Spirit at the same time, but it doesn't mean it's two separate things. You know, people drive and text. I know some. Doesn't mean you have to drive to text. It means you can do both at the same time. Some people get saved and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them at that moment, and some people get saved and it does not. 
and it's a separate experience. There's still two separate things here. And we see this. We see this by the waiting. But also what waiting means is it's something worth waiting for. Wait. Well, why? Because there's something worth waiting for. There's a purpose, you know? And you, you look at, okay, and if I'm waiting for something, there's a promise in that. I'm waiting for what? A promise. There's a reason I'm waiting. You know, you don't go into a restaurant, get the little digital thing and wait for your seat because there's a promise that you're going to get a table eventually. At least your hope is. You know, and then you give up hope and you get mad, you leave. No. But you sit there, there's a promise with it. There's a waiting, there's a promise. Right? And then there's also a choice to receive it. They didn't have to wait in Jerusalem. They could have left. They could have said, I don't want to wait for whatever this promise is. I don't... I don't like this, you know, this is the wrong city to be waiting in. I'm going to go somewhere else. And so there's an obedience in that, a receiving an obedience in that. So there's a choice in waiting for the Holy Spirit, desiring this gift of the Holy Spirit, this promise, and waiting for it that God clearly leaves out here. There's, you know, we slow down and sometimes can just read over stuff, but there's a reason for the gap that's two separate experiences. And in verse 5 it says, And for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They understood what baptism meant, to be immersed and to be soaked, to be drenched. When somebody's baptized, it's obvious. If you're ever in a situation and somebody pushes you in a pool when it's inappropriate, it's obvious. You're immersed. Your cell phone's immersed. You know, you're soaking wet. It's there. You know, and, you know, some people, okay, that one gave up. Some people believe that, you know, there's different theologies on baptism. You know, some churches, well, we just sprinkle, and then you have some that are, you know, full immersion, and, and there's different takes on what baptism is and how much, you know, and, and far as water baptism goes. I, I know Heidi believes in full immersion. Um, my kids believe in sprinkling, and I believe in fire hose. And I'm not talking about baptism. We're talking about the dishes. Heidi believes in immersing the dishes fully and cleaning. My kids believe in sprinkling. And me, I do it like a fire hose, and there's water everywhere when I'm done, but it's clean. And so since we have the fire truck after, we'll do all three if you want. We can just you know, line you up and shoot you down with a fire hose in the name of Jesus, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, but you sit there, and you look at it. But the more important thing, unlike the dishes, is it's not the action. The dish is important, action's more important, but far as we're concerned, far as baptism goes, it's the heart. It's not the water itself, it's not the quantity of water, because some of us in here know it would take a lot of water if it was the water's sake, you know, we don't have enough water, you know, you, you know, we just set up a baptismal in your bathroom instead of taking a shower every morning or something, you know, but you look at it, it's the heart. The heart, the choice of saying, I am identifying with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. I'm going to be dripping wet. And, and we can think of, you know, when the question comes, um, you know, one of, the, one of the guys I was reading said, you know, the question with the Holy Spirit shouldn't be, shouldn't be, have you been baptized? It should be, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit isn't a once, oh, I was baptized experience. You should still be dripping wet with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you, you know, life happens, and, you know, you're full of the Holy Spirit, and things are going great, and then something happens, and it just feels like, you know, the hot desert sun just dried you out. You know, like, I have nothing left. I was overflowing, you know. I remember waking up in the morning, and, 
sitting there and praying and being full of the Holy Spirit going, yes, I'm ready for today. And I come downstairs and Alex has milk running off all four corners of the table, you know, just down and you're like, all gone. The Holy Spirit, just the blow dryer turned on. The flesh wanted to come out, you know. There's those things, but to be baptized, to be dripping, and it's, it's one of those things that it should be evident. It's going to be evident. Verse 6 says, you know, if we look at verse 6, what, how, how does this kind of, in a sense, how does this work, um, how does this work, or how does this look in a Christian life, I guess, when we sit here and go, okay, so we're called to do this work. We need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, this promise of power of the Holy Spirit to come. And, and how does this look? And so they responded to them. They're wanting more information. Okay, you're going. We're there. We're getting all this instruction. And, and okay, we have some questions. You know, and, and they kind of ask, well, how's this going to work? What does this look like? How long are we going to do this work? What do we need for this job? You know, somebody came up to you and said, hey, we're going to do this. You guys like planning. If we say, hey, we're going to do Fun Fest, just show up. A lot of you guys would be all fearful in here. And you should be. We plan. But in this case, you know, the disciples are in the same situation here. Look at verse 6. It says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons for which the Father has put his own authority. So they ask him a question, you know, and before they were asking him, hey, are we going to sit on your right and your left? And they had a total misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God, what Jesus was doing, that he was going to the cross and dying. And I don't think their heart's off like that before. I don't think they're sitting here looking for their position anymore in Rome, but they want to know, okay, this is a new covenant. This is going on. We're supposed to stay in Israel and Jerusalem here. Are, are you setting up? Are you coming back? Or is this the time that you're going to now set up your kingdom? And it kind of makes sense. Why? Well, Jerusalem forever is supposed to be God's home. It was a dwelt in the tabernacle. There's supposed to be a witness from that city to the world of who God was in one location. And so it's not a too far off question going, okay, new covenant, new Jerusalem. Is this the time? I mean, it kind of makes sense. All these things are done. Those fossils are, are, are is it here? And he tells them, well, it's not the right time for you to know. It's, it's not for you to know these things, you know? And, um, Sometimes, you know, that's the way we approach God, though, right? Okay, God, I want more information. And God says no. And you're like, no, I need more information. I'll obey you when I know exactly all the details. Let's go. And, you know, kids do that. We do that. You know, well, sure, I'll do that, but Lord, but I need all the details laid out about how this is going to work and go. They're wanting more information. And he responds to them with, no, it's, it's, it's not for you to know these things. And the funny thing is, what if he did tell them? No, it's going to be 2,000 plus years. Now, you can think, wow, that would be discouraging. I don't think that would be necessarily totally discouraging to them, going, okay, 2,000 years, that's a long time. I'm going to die before then. Okay. I don't know if that would be a huge discouragement, maybe to some. But what if he told them the work they were going to do? How big it was going to be how beyond their imagination, how God were going to use these 11 men and how the great effect it was going to take on the whole world. What if he explained that to them? What would your response be? 
I can't do that. Okay, these guys are good. I'm out of here. I'm just, that's it. I'm going to go home and hide my head in the sand. I don't see how this is going to happen, especially without the Holy Spirit at this point. I have no power to do it, and you want me to do what? You know, you, you look at a situation, you know, you, you, the situations in life that come up where somebody puts this impossible task upon you and you don't have the energy or anything. It's like, what am I going to do, you know? And I could see them being overwhelmed. They couldn't even imagine what was to come. Verse 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, he sits there and goes, okay, this is the information you need. You don't need to know when I'm coming back and those times and those things. Those aren't for you. What is for you is you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power to do what you're called to do. You're going to receive power to be a witnesses to me. And it doesn't say you may receive power. You might receive power. It says you shall receive power. And in the same sense, it says you shall be a witness. You know, if you ever... Um, Take a look at a, 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 a plug-in in a light bulb, right? When you plug in a light bulb and you put power to it, do you ever have to talk the light bulb and say, okay, you got power now, you got everything you need, come on, turn on, turn on? No, you might do that with your car or something, but the truth is it doesn't have power somehow. Something's broken. But if something isn't broken and you plug it in, it turns on. You don't have to wheel it, you don't have to talk to it. I know many, many people that do talk to inanimate objects when they're broken, please just work this time. You know, you, for, for people who are older, when you're booting up your old computer, it was like, you know, we used to have a computer, guys, that instead of a password, had a key like a soda machine, and you stuck it in, you turned it. That was your password, was an actual key in a computer, a program called Nutshell Plus. And you did hope that it would boot up. It was like, come on, come on. And you come back in 15 minutes to check it, you're either excited or you weren't, or you had to wait more, you know. It's not the case, is that when you plug power into something and it is set up and it works and it's designed right, it turns right on. And same thing in a, in a life as a believer. The information you need is to be plugged in. You need the power. And if you have power through the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit, everything else lines up. Okay? You think of what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? The gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Can you think of a situation you would walk into if you were full of the Holy Spirit that you would lack what you need? No. So does it matter what situation you get into? God, I'll serve you, but man, you need to give me some information. No, all you need is the Holy Spirit. All you need is to be Spirit-filled and you'll be totally ready. But no, I need some more information. Information's good and it helps. You know, training in the EE class is great. Learning the gospel, how to share it clearly is awesome totally useless without the Holy Spirit. 100% useless. Most of the time we go out and the times you meet up with people and everything else is because it's totally Spirit-led. You know, and, and in the weirdest ways you would have never thought. We ended up talking to a taxi cab driver and sharing with him. And right, we get there, oh yeah, I'm a Sikh, and, you know, and I've been able to talk with him a couple times on the phone and pray with him and answer some of his questions. Right away, oh well, I'm a Sikh, and okay, so he's already got a religion, all this, you know, why are we talking to a taxi cab driver in a parking lot who's obviously a Sikh already. He's already got at least some point of view. I doubt he's going to be open to it. And by the end of the conversation, yeah, I'd like to do that. 
And then he's calling me up, and yeah, I really have some issues here and here. And you know, it turns out God had been planting seeds in that man's life all the way from India in jail when there were some Christians there sharing the gospel. It's just You look at these things and how God works, and you would have, I mean, if, if you would have took what we first found out about this guy and laid it out, you would be like, that is the wrong candidate. You know, if there was a computer algorithm, which there are out there, you know, what, what income they have, how prone they are, had they gone to church, will they go to your church? You can pay for those things, so that way you send your advertisement or flyer or door knockers to the right people. This guy wouldn't be on the list anywhere. He's the wrong person. You know, he ain't going to be interested. No, the Holy Spirit is everything we need, and, and more importantly is who's in need and all that. There, there wasn't, you know, there any, actually most of the training you would have thought in the world's training would have made that not happen. But the Holy Spirit just desires them God just desires them to have the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit to do what they're called, not even more information. And so it's amazing to sit here and think, and, and we sit there, and so many times we can sit down as believers and we can look at our life and we go, you know, it's just not working. I, I'm, I'm, I'm worn out, things aren't working. Well, are you doing what God created you to do? Did God create you? Did God call you and direct you to do that? Well, no. Well, don't use the back of the nail gun to drive hammers in. It doesn't turn out well. What did God call and create you to do? You know, we've sat down and looked at the ministry, and again, this church, how we do what we do and how we're called here, yes, there's definitely calling on the church. We are called to restore people to the family of God by example, by loving and caring for them, and those things. That's the calling God's kind of placed on this church. And that calling is placed on that church not because we sat down and came up, oh, this is a good slogan or anything else. It's literally what we've seen God doing through the believers he's called here. And again, far as how you're to serve in this fellowship and in your life, seek God and do what he's telling you to do. Obey. You know, we were talking um, with a uh, brother this week on some things, and when it comes to your spouse, when it comes to every situation, never try to step into the place of God for somebody. They need to seek God, read their Bible, pray, and obey. Ask God for the power to obey what they're calling them to do. Once you step into that position and you start telling people what to do, do you have the power? I don't have any of the Holy Spirit to offer you. It's hard enough to get me for some for myself. It's not not Benny in up here with a coat, handing it out or whatever he does. I don't got it. It's something you have to wait. It's something you have to receive, which means also it's not something you can create. You don't, if you can gem up or stir up something in your heart or whatever, you're not receiving it. You're creating it. It's something they were supposed to wait in Jerusalem and then receive from the Father. If God has called you to something, he's stirring you something ministry-wise, Seek it and obey that. And the amazing thing is with that, I have every confidence as you seek the Holy Spirit and God leads you, whatever he leads you to do is going to be awesome. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of that in my wife's life. What is God calling you to do, honey, and do that? What scares me actually is when we sit down and I feel like God's calling me to do something and, and we're kind of talking about this the week, the scariest thing is not her ooh, needing to submit to me. It's when she does submit to me. When I go to her and I say, God, I feel God's leading us this way. And she goes, I'm not sure about that, honey. 
okay, can you pray about that a little more? I'll pray about that a little more. And she does, and she goes, you know what, honey? I'm not 100% on what's going on here. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm going to just submit to you. Ooh, that's not good. Most guys in here, oh, yeah, make her submit or whatever. No, that's not good. That scares me. Why? Because I could be wrong. God, why isn't she on board with this? I'm out here all alone. Now it's going to be all my fault. I can't even blame her for any of it. I mean, it's Scary's position to be in. It's the truth, you know. And he's done that. Sometimes he's done that because he wants me to be sure to know, hey, I gave you this clearly and you're going to need to stand on it. Because even when it's hard and you want to give up, I want you coming back to me to know that I called you to do this and not say, honey, it's your fault. You know, <laughs> you confirmed it, it's your fault. No. But, you know, that's a scary place to be. Because she's seeking the Holy Spirit. Same in this fellowship. If I start to say, hey guys, we're going to start this new ministry and this and this. And everybody goes, Pastor, we love you. We believe you're led by the Holy Spirit. We're not sure about it, but we're just, we'll, we'll go along with you. Huh? What? No, Lord! You know, I don't trust myself. I don't have a, you know, when you guys, if you, if you guys seek and you're asking God for power and how he's called you, how has he purposed your life? Okay, you're saved. Now what? Make a lot of money and die. Try to get a good retirement. You know, go crazy. Break what you weren't created for. You see the world falling apart is because they're being used for not what they were created for. You see the church and so many people depressed in the church and everything else is why? Because you're not being used for the right purpose. And it hurts. It's not because of the lack of power, the lack of information. We have the whole gospel. We have the whole word of God here. We have the Holy Spirit totally available to us. It's not your lack of belief or your lack of faith. It's something you receive. So it's not based on your understanding. So when we sit down and we look at it and go, okay, so what's wrong in our lives? Why aren't there? It's pretty simple. If the light isn't on, maybe you don't have power. Right? Pretty easy thing to figure out. Okay, up in the hills right now, they understand that quite well. The light ain't on. We don't have power. Thank you, pg &E. I mean, sometimes we sit down in our life, I don't understand. I love God and everything else. Okay, where's the power? Are we asking God, give me the power. And sometimes you wake up and you go, wait, the power was on yesterday. It's not on today. Okay, give me the power. And so we need to sit down and we need to consider those things when we consider what he's saying here. There are two separate things here. Yes, you can be saved, but if your life isn't doing it, then you need to sit down and go, okay, what am I doing wrong? Has God called me to this? And there's a lot of really good, noble things you could be doing that are nothing God wants you to be doing. Nothing to do. And you get burned out and everything else, you know? What is God calling you to do and be faithful to do it? Now, can you imagine, okay, you're a pastor of a church. How many ministry things have to happen for a service? Right? You've got to have somebody in children's ministry. Can I have somebody? Isn't it easier just to appoint people and give them a job and make sure everything's covered? God loves you guys. He's going to provide for it. And if we don't have any children's ministry, then the children's come in here. Why? Because that's what God wants. I'm confident. Well, if you don't have children, people don't want to come to church. I'm faithful in what God's telling you to do. Now, as a pastor, I'm going to ask you to do what I ask myself to do. and make sure, make sure you're doing what God's called you to do. Don't 
change anything in your life or trade it out for any other purpose. And if there's something that doesn't belong there, get rid of it so God can have you do what you're supposed to do and what you're called to do. And there's a huge relief in knowing what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. So that way, if Pastor Tim comes up to you and goes, hey, do you want to do this? You can say, no, God has told me and called me not to do that. Okay, I'll find somebody else. No, I'll pray that maybe we're not supposed to do it. It's kind of simple, you know, and it, and it, it you know, sure takes a burden off me, leaves it all on God. It's God's fault, you know. If there isn't a ministry being done here and you're like, why isn't somebody doing that ministry? Why is this? I see this need. Pray about maybe you're supposed to fill that need or maybe it's not a need. Maybe it's just the way we think church is supposed to be because well, what does God desire here? It's never about a list of rules, an organization, or order of service, or any of those things. You know, last Sunday was sweet time after. Why? We didn't have somebody to do worship. It opened it up. It lined up with scripture. Look what the Holy Spirit did. At the end of service, we're going to have people get up and share scripture. Ooh, scary, right? Who can say what? You know, trust the Holy Spirit. Trust his leading in your life as well. Isn't that a scary thing to go, okay, my life, my plan, how the week's going to go, how the future's going to go, I'm going to just lay at your feet, Lord, and you guide this week. You guide today. I need your power. I don't need to know the whys. I don't need to know the details. I just need your Holy Spirit and just direct me. Open those doors. Open those times of those things. Now in verse 9, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfast towards heaven, he went up, and behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you st stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, whom was taken up from you into heaven, will also come in like manner as you have seen saw him go into heaven. So he's going to return, right? You know, you sit there and you see, are they gazing up? Well, you're gazing up and going, okay, he left. The Holy Spirit isn't here. That's a scary thing, right? We're here, we're in Jerusalem, we're told to wait, and the car just drove away. Bye, you know? I, when I was a child, we had talked about this, you know, you ever leave your kid anywhere by accident? Oops, leave one behind. I think we left Abigail somewhere once. I think she, re she remembered. I didn't. But, you know, when I was a kid, I got left once. I got left at church, community church in Big Bear. I was out playing towards the goalie, and I got there. And the bad thing was I was throwing rocks out of the car as the station wagon drove away with my brothers waving. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't very spiritual. They didn't think I needed more education or something. They were just being mean. You know, and then, of course, I got home with the pastor who gave me a ride home, and my mom answers the door and he goes, are you missing anything? And she goes, nope. Oh, I was devastated. You know, I'll never forget that. Ah, mom, we're right here. You know? So he's leaving, right? That's going to freak you out. What's the comfort he's given? He's coming back. He's returning. You know? Aliyah in nursery. I'm getting dropped off. I'm getting left here with all these tours. It's horrible. Well, if you know you're coming back, it's not bad. You know? He is returning. There's a time he's returning. But it's really clear here. Why did he go up in that way? You know, it's kind of one of those things. Why did he and why didn't he when you look at Scripture? Could he have gone up in a... He decided to go up in a cloud very visual. 
is heaven up in the clouds for sure? Is that like the place, you know, and then NASA bumped into it? No. So why did he go that way? Because they needed to see, hey, he's not going to be reappearing. It is a clear time change. This is an event that's happening, and I'm going to return. Also, why didn't he need to do it another way? Have you ever thought, what if, what if Jesus just was standing there, and now I'm going to be with you, and he just pff, floats off into like a, a, a fog, and he goes into the twelve? Oh, well, of course, they were special because they were there because they actually got a piece of Jesus. And then they, I mean, all the things we would come up with for that, right? Like, oh, the power had to be transferred. or you know, We do that with a, I mean, not we as a church, but we as human beings have done that with all kinds of things. This is the burial rig of Jesus, and if you touch it, or this is Paul's grave. And I mean, because he was around. And I mean, silly, crazy, odd stuff, you know. So if you have some Elvis moment, oh, sell it on eBay, make the money, it doesn't matter. You know, but the way we do things, the way we think, he did it for a reason. There was a time he needed to sh clearly show it. And again, there was a clear separation of time here. Ten days between here and the Holy Spirit. There's salvation and then the work for the power. Two separate things. And so when we look at that and we ask, and sometimes... You know, we ask, and, and it, it, it seems like that's not enough, right? You guys ever pray and say, God, I need your strength right now? Do you get it in me? You're like, you know, no. Sometimes he responds with, okay, wait. But why? Because I told you to wait. Just stop and wait. Well, God, I need to do this. I need to make this decision. Are we supposed to do this? Are we supposed to do that? God, I need an answer on this, Lord. And he says, wait and do nothing. Stay here. Don't move. But, 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 I need to know now. You know, well, there is, um, uh, Damien Kyle's always said, you know, if somebody ever comes up to you and says, hey, here's this, there's choice A and there's choice B, and I need an answer right now. So the answer's always no. If somebody tries to press you in an answer, it's always no. Really works well with salesmen, if you notice, you know. This special deal is only available right now. Well, no. Why? Because you said I had to make a choice now, so the choice has to be no. If I can wait till tomorrow, maybe I'd say yes, but right now, it's no. You know, like, we've done that with a car seller too, but, 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 you know, it's like, this deal is that good, and it can't be passed on, I'm sorry, you know, then I guess the answer's no, have a nice day. You know, but you sit there and you look at those things, sometimes we sit down and we go, we look at the time frame, and God, I need an answer right now, and he tells you to wait. You're like, but you don't understand, you created the whole universe, you love me, you've got everything in order. But you're wrong, and I'm right, and it has to be right now. Because <laughs> you guys have never done that, just me. But, you know, we sit down and we look at those things. And so, as we sit this morning, and we come to an end here, and we look and go, instead of, as you sit and you look and you get together, maybe with your spouse at home, or that time in the morning, or even just after church, and it's a closing song, instead of going, God, instead of me asking for directions of, what should I do? Should I go to this job? What exactly? Thank God, I need your power. I just need this gift. I need your Holy Spirit. You know, what mission field? God, how am I supposed to serve you? Am I supposed to go to Africa, China, or whatever? And God goes, just be full of your Holy Spirit. And you will be witnesses. Right? If you plug a light in, it turns on. And it's a light to everything around it. You don't have to talk it into, okay, now you're plugged in, now you're shining. Can you shine a little farther now? 
the people over there. No, it just does. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, next thing you know, you're going to be a light. Somebody's going to get mad at you for being a light. Somebody, ah, that hurts my eyes. Why are you shining like that? You horrible Christian. What happens? Other people are going to know, what's different about you? And do, I, you know, there's situations where you're sitting there, you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're sitting in a situation, and somebody just looks and goes, why are you happy? What's going on? And this does not make sense to me. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. No, that can't be it. There's no way. Well, I'm happy in this as you. Totally ununderstandable you, but, you know, sit there and ask. So, when we sit there and we look, just ask God. God, more importantly than exactly how you've called me into what you've called me ministry-wise, fill me with your spirit. God, we need to be spirit-filled for whatever you call. You know, you walk into this church, all everybody around you, and you can figure out who you are, would prefer you to be full of the Holy Spirit. And you would prefer them to be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? When you sit down, why? And it's not because, oh, they might rub you wrong or something else, but because sometimes when somebody's full of the Holy Spirit and they're sitting there and they just simply come up and go, hey, you know, this and this is going on. You go, you know what, let's pray about that. You realize that's what you need. What's going to strengthen the body and what's going to strengthen the body of the believers in here is us being full of the Holy Spirit. Your family, your kids, that's what we need to be. We need to be that light. We need to be plugged into the source for all the work he's called us to do. Because I guarantee you, if God was to show each one of you what he's called you to, it is too big. You'd be freaked out. You're going, that is not possible. Especially when we go through the book of Acts and you realize, again, 30 years in the highlights, right? It can be almost like intimidating. You read through the book of Acts and you go, oh, we're such loser Christians compared to these people. Look, you know, why isn't our church growing like that, you know? Whatever. Again, highlights. <laughs> highlights of it. Sometimes you look at your life and you look at the ministry you're doing and there's awesome highlights. But the day-to-day -day is not great highlights. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit to survive the day-to-day -day in those things. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you just for the power you give us, that you didn't just leave us here just forgiven, but, Father, that you give us new life, that your spirit indwells us, that we are a new creation, that we are part of your kingdom, Father, and that you give us, just as your children, everything we need to represent you, to be a witness to the world, God, that we have a purpose to continue just to share you, that you desired to use us and desired to give us a purpose just to share your love. God, we pray that you just fill us all with your Holy Spirit afresh today. God, that we would not take it in just for ourselves, our own benefit, that we'd just be a witness to the world. God, that your Holy Spirit would just be for those around us and for this world that's lost as a witness of who you are and how amazing you are. In Jesus' name, amen.